So the scripture text that I will be preaching on this morning is from 2 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 through 22. But I did want to give you a warning that this text involves sexual violence, and it might be particularly sensitive and triggering for some. And if you have children with you, uh, I would say it's probably not appropriate and would encourage you to take them during the scripture reading over to Sunday School. And I've invited Nancy to read aloud this story uh, and invite you to pay attention to these words. Some time passed. David's son, Absalom, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar, and David's son, Amnon, fell in love with her. Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister, Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of David's brother, Shemaiah, and Jonadab was a very crafty man. He said to him, O oh, son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me something to eat and prepare the food in my sight so that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight so that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, where he was lying down. She took dough, kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. Then she took the pan and set them before him, but he refused to eat. Amnon said, Send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the chamber so that I may eat from your hand. So Saint Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not force me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do anything so vile. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the scoundrels in Israel. Now, therefore, I beg you, speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. Then Amnon was seized with a very great loathing for her. Indeed, his loathing was even greater than the lust he had felt for her. Amnon said to her, Get out. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. 
but he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing an ornamented robe with sleeves, for this is how the virgin daughters of the king were clothed in earlier times. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. But Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she was wearing. She put her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar remained a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he became very angry, but he would not punish his son Amnon because he loved him, for he was his firstborn. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had raped his sister Tamar. Thank you for reading, Nancy. So for those of you who haven't been with us, we have been doing a series on women in the Bible. And so obviously this morning, the woman who we are focusing on is Tamar. Tamar, the daughter of David. Not all stories about women in the Bible are fairy tales or have redemptive arcs or are happy stories. As we have seen, Tamar's story is no exception. But even though her story of sexual violence is deeply painful, it is worth remembering. And she is worth remembering. Tamar was a victim of rape at the hands of her half-brother Amnon. But that is not all she was. She was not merely an object of abuse. She was a woman of courage, and her voice rose out in defense of her personhood and of the moral order of Israel. Our goal today is to pay attention to the voice and body of Tamar, to honor her, to listen to her, and to see her as a model of prophetic resistance. And I'm gonna use the term prophetic resistance several times. And what I want you to call to mind is the Old Testament prophets. And what did they do? They told Israel what was right. And they told Israel when they had messed up. And so I see in Tamar a prophetic voice, one who showed prophetic resistance. Most of Jesus' ministry was spending time with people on the margins, right? Tax collectors, sinners, men, women, and children. And so as we read the Bible, I think Jesus teaches us to spend time with those same types of people. To pay attention and to listen to Tamar's voice and story of suffering is to read the Bible on the margins. And that is what I hope we will do today, confident that Jesus is here with us.
Please pray with me. God, I am thankful that you are our God who lived on the margins, who spent time with people on the margins. And so you teach us now to read scripture in the very same way that you lived your life. And God, we want to honor you today by honoring Tamar, by listening to her voice and hearing her story. We know that you are with us. That is so clear, and we are so thankful. Amen. So I don't know about you, and perhaps this is the first time that you have heard Tamar's story. I didn't know before I was in college that there were stories like this about women in the Bible. And I didn't know, and when I found out, it wrecked me. And Tamar's story is not the only story about women's bodies being abused and violated. But I couldn't make sense how these stories of violence, rape, and terror could be in the pages of my sacred scriptures, the scriptures that I turn to over and over again to know my merciful and loving God. Why in the world was the story of Tamar and stories like hers allowed to be in the Bible? And why in the world was God seemingly silent? I remember in college, I wept in disbelief and anger while sitting with my professor, who happened to be our very own Helen Ree. Yeah, it's pretty beautiful. But how, how it is, Helen, she told me words that I have not forgotten. And this is my paraphrase. She said, Nikki, the Bible is a mirror of what happens in our world. The presence of a story in scripture doesn't mean that that event is sanctioned by God. The Bible mirrors both the joys and the deep terror that exist all around us. Women were abused and violated in the ancient world and in our world today. And the Bible does not turn from or ignore this terrible truth. Thank you, Helen, for this wisdom. So I want us to get our bearings to remember where we are in the story of God. Second Samuel is a book which chronicles David's kingship. And right now, we're in the latter half of his kingship. And this is actually the time in his kingship. He had a season of going up, and he was an incredible king and experienced lots of blessings from God. But then, starting with um, his rape of Bathsheba and murder of Uriah, then his kingship, you see, goes on a steep decline. And so we are in the middle of that decline. And we remember that God sent the prophet Nathan to warn David that there would be consequences for his actions. Nathan said, Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. Then in quick succession, Solomon is born. David defeats the Ammonites, and our passage, the story of Tamar, is introduced. 
The three main characters in our story today are Amnon, Absalom, and Tamar. So this is the opening verse. David's son, Absalom, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And David's son, Amnon, fell in love with her. So Tamar is a daughter of David too, but we see in this first verse that it doesn't deem fit to mention this. And maybe put the verse back on the screen. We also see that Tamar is smack dab in the middle of the verse. And this illustrates actually how she is in the middle of her two brothers, both in this verse and the rest of the story. Because what might not be immediately apparent to you is that Amnon and Absalom, as sons of David, both are vying to be the successor to the throne. And they both treat Tamar as an object, either as an object of lust or an object that they have to protect. And in some sense, it is through her body that their rivalry for the throne is expressed. Now to David. As the father and head of the royal household, it was David's duty to, and his honor, to protect the unmarried virgins in his family. In the ancient Hebrew world, virginity meant something altogether different than it does now. It actually showed the strength of one's household because it measured the men's ability to protect the women entrusted to their care and ownership. So Tamar's virginity was not a symbol of just a normal household, but it was a symbol of the state of the royal household. And so the fact that it was brutally stolen from her at the hands of her brother was an egregious threat against, an, against the honor of the entire royal family. And it was a damning reflection on David. It foreshadows David's decline as king, as David, the one who was supposed to be the ultimate protector of Tamar, did nothing. It is in verse 11, the center of the passage, where Amnon takes hold of Tamar and says, Come, lie with me, my sister. What scary words for Tamar to hear. Amazingly, though, in such a dire situation, Tamar's responses are quick, articulate, and intelligent. With her life as she knows it essentially on the line, she demonstrates poise and conviction and clearly tells Amnon, no, she does not give her consent. And after clearly saying no, she begins to argue her case and make three main appeals to Amnon. First, she appeals to Amnon, consider Israel's moral order, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Second, she appeals Amnon, consider my vulnerable state, for where could I carry my shame? And third, she appeals to his reputation, 
you would be as one of the scoundrels in Israel. Tamar then gives Amnon an alternative. Ask David to give me to you in marriage. This way, both Tamar and Amnon would be saved from the repercussions of rape. But as Nancy read, Amnon does not listen to Tamar's appeals. And at the climax of the story, Amnon rapes Tamar. The act is done swiftly and with no comment from the narrator. Amnon's lust quickly turns to contempt and Tamar must use her voice to defend herself a second time when Amnon decides to send her away. But Tamar knows that other than marriage to Amnon, she has no other recourse to recover from this rape. And so she rightly shines judgment on Amnon's action. She says, no, my brother, for this sending me, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other you did to me. So Tamar is making a moral judgment here and it is in line with Torah stipulations for the rape of a virgin in Deuteronomy and Exodus. And these laws were put in place to protect women who were raped. And they don't make a ton of sense in our society, but they made sense back then. And they required the rapist to pay a bride price and to marry the virgin. But Amnon refuses to listen to Tamar for a second time and sends her away. By doing this, her, out, her fate is sealed as an outcast in society, and she has no recognizable place. But I want us to think about Tamar. and I want us to think about her voice and how it shines in this passage. It shines because she is someone who is concerned with the preservation of the order and honor of the royal family. She is someone who is aware of the protections that Torah offers her. And she is someone whose voice rises loudly, speaking and boldly declaring God's desire for human relationships. Tamar stood up to injustice and used her voice to prophetically resist Amnon and to call him to something higher. Though she had no real power against Amnon, she did not back down from what was right, and she did not passively acquiesce to what someone in power told her to do. Not only does her voice shine, but the testimony of her innocence and her character is recorded for all time in scripture. God sees Tamar and her words matter to him. Her words testify to her innocence and righteousness and Amnon's words testify to his guilt and sin. Her resistance stands in stark contrast to David's apathy Amnon's violent rape, and even Absalom's obsession with revenge later on in the narrative. 
I taught a class in Encounter several years back on marginal women in the Old Testament. And Pastor TJ, who used to work here, he came up to me and he said, you know what, I was thinking about it, and obviously Amnon and Absalom were not fit to be king. But the one who spoke for justice and righteousness was Tamar. She should be king, or better yet, she should be queen. And I, I absolutely loved that. And I shouted in agreement, Tamar for queen. <laughs> And yet, in spite of Tamar's courage and prophetic resistance, this story is rightfully coined by scholar Phyllis Tribble as a text of terror. The fate of Tamar is simply stated, so Tamar remained a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. Tamar offered her voice and her body in the struggle to preserve her life and ultimately the life of Israel. It was not enough. What's worse is that we never hear about Tamar again in the Bible. We don't know what happened to her. The story of David and his kingship keeps moving forward and she is forgotten by the narrator. As the story ends, the reader is given a rare window into Tamar's great pain and grief. Putting ashes on her head, tearing her virgin's robe, and putting her hand on her head were all public and recognizable signs of grief. It is painful that the narrator does not offer any comment on Tamar's rape but it is an intimate privilege that the reader is able to witness Tamar's suffering and is shown the effects of Amnon's brutal actions. And some might argue the narrator preferred showing rather than telling. The cries and groans of Tamar are echoed throughout the world by women and men whose bodies have been violated by sexual violence. As in this narrative, there are many times in the human experience when Yahweh, when God, seems absent and when only terror is felt. Before we can do anything else, we are first invited to lament. Will we mourn with Tamar? Will we shed tears on her behalf? Will we feel the pain of God's apparent absence? If we can't pay attention to Tamar in the text of our very own Bible and show compassion to her, will we be able to pay attention to the people in our world, our communities, and our churches who have, like Tamar, been sexually assaulted, scorned, and left alone. When we show compassion to Tamar, we are learning to do the same to those who have experienced abuse in our midst. What about you? Do you identify with anyone in this story? Tamar, Amnon, Absalom? <laughs> <laughs> 
maybe a little of all three. If you, like Tamar, man or woman, have been a victim of sexual assault, maybe the most important thing for you to remember is that God cares about and sees your suffering. God does not condone sexual violence. And God is concerned with justice for your oppressor. We don't know how or if Tamar grappled with God's apparent absence from the story. But if you have grappled with God's silence about your abuse, may you be reminded that God's character does not change from the Old Testament to the New. He is a father to the fatherless, a voice for the voiceless, a lover of justice, and absolutely hates it when the vulnerable are preyed upon. While David failed to protect Tamar, we can see later that God was the one who meted out justice for her with Amnon's death and the unraveling of David's kingdom. We also know that God honored and ensured her innocence would be recorded for all time, that she would be honored and vindicated by her words and the weight they were given by God. For those who have experienced sexual violence and perhaps are carrying the shame of that with you still, would you remember that God is for you. For those of you men or women who identify more with Amnon, will you allow this story to move you to repentance? These words are not just for sexual predators. They are for any one of us who ignores the inherent value of people they encounter. People cannot be made into objects, and when we turn them into ones, our hearts grow cold. Might we be reminded that every single person is made in the image of God and has worth and dignity in God's sight? It would be wise of us to know that God sees all of us, and there are consequences for our actions. For those who are caught in cycles of violence and abuse, perhaps they have gone on in your family for generations, will you repent and make a commitment to end the cycles with you? Or perhaps you already have, and we celebrate that with you. There is always forgiveness and mercy found at the cross. And finally, for those of you like Absalom, who have family members who have endured sexual abuse, will you tell them, don't take it to heart, be quiet for now, like Absalom did? Or instead, will you listen to their pain? Let them cry and wail and rip their robes publicly, saying, rape, rape, this is wrong, this is wrong. Please stand with them as they name their pain and sit with them as they weep. There's one other character who I haven't mentioned who maybe you don't personally relate to, 
but who I can't help but see pretty strong parallels with the capital C church, the church at large. I see parallels between the church and David. Because David did nothing in the face of abuse. And oftentimes when sexual abuse crises have risen to the surface, the church too has remained silent and has done nothing. And they have left unspeakable pain in their wake. Tragically, this has led to people becoming alienated from Jesus, the very one who can help heal their pain and take away their shame. When sexual abuse happens, even in the church, might we loudly cry out like Tamar, no, such a thing is not done in Israel. No, such a thing is not done in the church. We sit with Tamar, we listen to her, we honor her this morning. For by God's grace, her story was recorded in the scriptures. And because isn't this what Jesus does himself with people on the margins? He sits with them, listens to them, and honors their stories. Tamar is an example of a survivor who demonstrated wisdom and courage. And she was a prophet who stood up for what was just and righteous. So how might we respond to Tamar's example and to her story? I realize that for me, I want to be a prophet like Tamar. I want to join her and declare boldly and loudly that sexual violence is wrong. And I want to speak truth to power like she did, even in the face of insurmountable odds. But what about you? We all have different gifts. We all have different stories. There are so many ways that God might be at work in your heart. And there's not one way to respond to sexual violence in our world or in our lives. Perhaps God is calling you to further healing or he might be lifting shame. Perhaps God might be convicting you or calling you to repentance. Or maybe he is asking you to listen to other stories around you with more compassion. Or perhaps he's gently reminding you even now that he wants to sit down with you and listen to your story. Who knows, God only knows how the spirit may be stirring in your life. But Tamar is a survivor who all of us can be inspired by or learn something from. To conclude, I wanna invite all of us to stand and I want us to declare the truth from Psalm 10 as we cry out to God on behalf of Tamar and others like her and as we affirm who we know God to be. So let's read this together. Rise up, O Lord, O God. Lift up your hand. Do not forget the oppressed. 
Why do the wicked renounce God and say in their hearts, you will not call us to account? But you do see, indeed you note trouble and grief, that you may take it into your hands. The helpless commit themselves to you. You have been the helper of the orphan. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoers. Seek out their wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nation shall perish from his land. O Lord, you will hear the desire of the meek. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice for the orphan and the oppressed, so that those from earth may strike terror no more. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.